Today, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, so I invite you to find Proverbs chapter 3. We're only going to take two verses, verses 7 and 8. We have a brand new year in front of us. I know that that's not all that we have in front of us. Um, Each person in this room brings their own set of concerns and anxieties, um, situations that are in front of them, opportunities um, that are in front of you. There are known difficulties that are out there ahead of you in 2023, and there are unknown difficulties right now that are out there in front of you for 2023. There are things that we would like to be different about ourselves this year, and there are plans for how we hope to accomplish that. Whatever the case is for you today, uh, the first Sunday of the new year is a really good time to just get quiet in front of the word and let God tell you what will make for your wellness this year. That is what we're after today in these these two verses of Proverbs 3 that we're going to look at, verses 7 and 8. We're going to look at the specific ways that the God who made us has told us, this is how you can be well. I think that we all find that a really attractive thing and something that we all want for ourselves this year, to be healthy in that way. Well in our souls. And if we can take the wisdom that we find here and use it as a foundation for this year, that's going to be really honoring to God and that's going to be really good for us. Okay? All right, it's going to be really simple. Let's, let's read the two verses uh, first. It's a very simple outline today. So let's uh, read the scripture, then I want to offer a prayer, and, and then we'll get started, all right? I want to invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of the word. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Father, we gather around your word today. We thank you that you have opened your infinite mind to us and that you have given us minds that can think and consider and learn. And our prayer is for hearts that delight to obey. We pray, Father, for an outpouring of your spirit on this church this year. We pray that you would kindle a fire here of burning zeal for Jesus. That's our prayer. An outpouring of your spirit here on this church this year in a burning zeal for Jesus, the likes of which none of us have known before in our lives. You are a big God beyond our comprehension, and so we pray a really big prayer because nothing is impossible for you, and nothing would delight you more than to answer that prayer. Show us what you have for us today. 
Let it be more than mere words. Let it, let it fall. Let the, the impact of the word of God fall upon hearts with real conviction and power. That's my plea to you today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. I think the easiest way to get started today is to notice that um, there are three commands here and there's one promise. That's really easy, right? Three, there are three commands and there's one promise. The promise is tied to the keeping of the commands. Command and promise is the pattern in Proverbs 3. One of the most famous verses in all of the scriptures is in Proverbs 3. We didn't read it. It's right before the section that we read. But notice that it's the same pattern of command and promise. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, of course. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's a command. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's a command. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's a command. And he will make straight your paths. That's a promise. You see? Command and, and promise. And that's the same thing we have here in verses 7 and 8. Let's say just one thing more about Proverbs before we look at verses 7 and 8 specifically, okay? I think this is the first study that we've done together in Proverbs. What are the Proverbs? The Proverbs are God's wisdom given in love. It's wisdom given in love. They are the counsel of a a father to the son. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. A father loves a son. They love daughters too. Father loves his children and gives the wisdom in love. It's wisdom given in love. My son, do not forget my teaching. This instruction is here in the Bible because God loves us. We can have this view of God's commands like they're just all, this is a bunch of arbitrary stuff that he wants us to do and he's just gonna see if we obey and if we don't obey, then judgment is gonna fall. But why do we have to do this stuff anyway? No, all of the counsel of scripture is against all of that. God commands things of us because he loves us and naturally we don't wanna do the right thing. Our natural instincts are toward self-destruction. We want to do evil things and wrong things, and it's bad for us. And because God loves us, he commands the good. That's what we have here, the loving counsel of a father. So let's begin with the promise. Let's talk about the promise, what it is and, and why we have it. Okay. The promise of verse 8 is wellness for your whole person. The promise is wellness for your whole person. We know the promise is wellness because we see the terms refreshment and healing. Those are wellness terms. We know the promise is for our whole person because we see the terms flesh and bones. 
flesh and bones. Two terms encompassing the whole body meant to encapsulate the idea of the whole body, the whole person. Flesh and bones, complete person. Wellness for your whole person. And we're not going to try to fetter out how much of this is physical wellness and how much of this is spiritual wellness because we know that the two are connected. We, we know that our physical well-being is connected to our spiritual well-being. When we're, when we're struggling physically, often we're struggling spiritually. And when we're struggling spiritually, often we're going to end up struggling physically. We're one integrated person. So we're going to take this promise at face value and recognize that the promise is basically this. Follow these commands and it will be good for you, for all of you. This is how to be well. So this promise is wellness for our whole person. Now let's say something about why the promise is given. Why do we need this? Like isn't isn't everyone in the room who's trusting Jesus Christ today, aren't they automatically well by virtue of being a a Christ follower? No, we know that's not true. Even Christ followers can become unwell spiritually. We can get to really bad places in our soul, even if we're relying on Christ and trusting his merits for salvation. Just like an otherwise healthy person, you know, someone who's in really good shape, just like they sometimes get sick, a mature Christian can sometimes become unwell spiritually. And so we need this promise. Hey, redirect yourself. Here's how to get well. Maybe you find yourself in that position this morning. You've been following Christ a long time, doing pretty good, maybe a leader, but you're just feeling like, you know, I'm kind of a mess, like inside, I just know that I'm, I'm unwell. Think about some of the things that might contribute to making us unwell. If we indulge anger for a long time, it's going to make us unwell. If we indulge lust for a long time, it's going to make us unwell. If we indulge pride or a critical spirit, for a long time and we're feeding our souls on that, it's going to make us unwell. Those things have a a very detrimental effect on us over time. There's other things we could have named too. So all those negative things can make us unwell, but you know, all that's really needed to make us unwell is just plain old neglect. Apathy. You're a believer in Christ and you just decide, I'm not going to eat for a while. I'm not going to nourish my soul on the scriptures. I'm not going to nourish my soul with Christian fellowship. I'm not going to nourish my soul with prayer. You're just neglecting all of that. There's just this apathy laying over your life. That is enough to make you unwell. Just It's the same physically. All it takes is not eating. And we become unwell. Maybe the major cause of your unwellness is just apathy and neglect. Do we know anything of the Christianity of the Apostle Paul? Do we know anything about the experience that he writes about when he writes in 1 Corinthians that, don't you know that 
all the runners in the race are running. All of the, everyone is running, but run in such a way as to win the prize. Like, work that hard. Be that one person disciplined enough to win the prize. And so Paul says, I beat my body and I subdue it so that after preaching to others, I myself am not disqualified. Do we know anything about that anymore? About working that hard post-cross? I think many of us, if we're honest, are content to just walk in the back of the pack and hopefully be picked up by the car that comes at the end and driven to the finish line. It's like, as long as I'm getting to heaven, that's fine. I'll, I'll walk in the back, I'll take the stroller, and the car will pick me up and I'll get there. Same as all those other people who are working so hard up there. And on any given day, I may be part of that group too. Our form of Christianity is so foreign to what Paul wrote about. So foreign. Well, we could feel really bad about that or we could just decide, I'm here to learn today. Like, show me how to not be that way. So let's learn, okay? Verse eight is the promise, wellness for your whole person. Now come the commands, three of them. Let's just take them each in turn. Let's take the first command. As we get into verse 7, so we're working backwards here. We started with verse 8. Now we're back up to verse 7. What are these three commands? We see that the first one is that we have to take a lower view of ourselves. Okay? Remember, we're talking about how to be well. Well in your whole person. This is wellness for your soul. We have to take a lower view of ourselves. Be not wise in your own eyes. That is taking a lower view of your wonderful, intelligent, awesome self. One thing that sets us up to be unwell is that we have this high, high view of our own opinions and our own ideas. We fall in love with what is ours and what we give birth to. And it's so easy to think that we are the the fount of all wisdom, that we have it figured out. Our ideas are the best. The wisdom that we have should be heard and submitted to by everyone else. And so we find ourselves confronted and corrected by the scriptures. Be not wise in your own eyes. Do not look at yourself and say, my wisdom is sufficient. My wisdom is superior. I don't really need the counsel or wisdom of others. I don't need the correction of others. That's a really dangerous place to get to. A Christian is someone who understands that self is the very last place that we should look for wisdom. God has given us two other places to look for wisdom. Self is the last place we should look. We need to look outside ourselves to the word of God, what God says, 
first of all, and secondly, to the counsel of others, to the counsel of other believers. That's Proverbs 15. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So the first thing that we have to understand if we would take a lower view of ourselves is that wisdom doesn't belong to me. It's outside of me. It's something I have to seek. I must seek it in the word of God and in the counsel of others. And here's the great thing about the counsel of others. Other people are not in love with your ideas. They can tell you where they fall short and why that's not the best idea. Boy, I need that so often. Other people are fair evaluators for us because they're not in love with what we think like we are. They can counter our natural tendency towards self-love, and a Christian will understand the value of that ministry. So as we're seeking to live out Proverbs 3-7 this year, as we're seeking to do something a little bit different this year, be not wise in your own eyes. We should enter into conversations and meetings. Do you have any conversations or meetings coming up? Anyone have a meeting on their calendar? Enter into conversations and meetings with the goal of being instructed. With the goal of being corrected and redirected. We tend to get to the table you know, when we're in a meeting and Everyone's prepped, and here we go, and people start talking, and we go into a meeting with the goal of making sure that my idea gets heard and that I fight to get it through. I fight to get everyone on my side. That's the goal we often go with. But do this instead. Instead of fighting to get your ideas through and your opinions heard, go with the goal of drawing wisdom out of other people. What if you went with that goal? What if you went in with the goal of saying, how can I get these other people to open up the wisdom that's inside of them? How can I get them confident enough to speak the wisdom that God has given them so I can be corrected where I need to be corrected? How can I draw the counsel and the creativity out of this other person and out of these other people? That's a really different way to approach a meeting, isn't it? What if you made that change? This, of course, is going to involve the skill of listening. And I want to encourage you to make that a really important word to you this year. Listening. How healthy would that be for you and me? Listen to your parents. Listen to your teachers. Listen to your children. Listen to your spouse. Let me ask you a question that could be difficult for you. Would it be more likely that other people would describe you as a good listener or as someone who is wise in their own eyes? What would be the more likely description of you by the people that know you best? That you're a person who's wise in your own eyes or that You're a really good listener. Which has been the pattern of your life? And more importantly, which is going to be the pattern of this coming year? 
Right? That's enough time on the first one. We have to take a lower view of ourselves. We're talking about how we can be well this year. We could all use a good dose of a lower view of self. The second one is, is kind of a companion to it. The second one is that we must take a higher view of God. Right? Do you see the next words in the text? Fear the Lord. Lower view, lower view of self accompanied by a higher view of God. And so this touches on the common problem that we all share, namely that our view of God is much too small. He's not really involved in our lives that much. Don't invite him to be involved that much. I asked you a hard question just a moment ago. I'll ask you another hard one right now. If you profess to be a Christian, have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, do people around you see indicators of that? Is it obvious that um, God is living in you? Or is it not that obvious? And is there maybe even a lot of evidence to the contrary? No matter how close your relationship is with God right now, today, whether you're over here or over here, for everyone it's true that there's always room for God to gain more of you than he had yesterday. There's room for God to take market share inside of you. You know, if you're in in sales, you're always looking to gain market share in your area. What we want to be concerned about is God gaining market share inside of you and me. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to suggest something to you that's going to feel like training wheels, okay? I'm going to suggest something to you that's going to feel really childish and elementary. But if we want more of God and we really do want God to gain market share in us this coming year, if if that really is the desire of your heart, then just put these training wheels on and then just go. And then maybe you won't need them anymore by February 13th. You'll be ready to take the training wheels off, okay? The goal is to always be in conversation with God, to always be relating to him in your heart, to always be praying to him. But if we're going to get to that goal, what I want to suggest to you is just start by tithing your time. We know what tithing means in terms of finances, that we give God the first 10%, and then we trust that he can take the remaining 90%. And accomplish all of his purposes through just that 90 because we give him the first 10. So I want you to take, this is my suggestion, take that same concept that you use with your money and transfer it to your time. And this is what that would look like. Okay, If you, if you have something that you need to accomplish that you figure is going to take you about an hour, whether it's writing a paper or fixing something or going to have coffee with a friend, take six minutes, 10%. And commit that first six minutes, maybe before you go or whatever, commit it to God, praying over that time. Recognizing that he is sovereign over this time, that he's going to be accomplishing something in this time. And that I don't have the strength or patience or wisdom or any of these resources necessary to complete this task, that I am depending on him for his help. See, that's what we're after, constant Reliance 
on God. It trains us out of self-reliance. See, that's the root problem of not fearing God. We just think we can do all of life on our own. And God's just not part of it, except for maybe this hour when you come into this room. It's one way we become unwell. It's just to become very, very self-reliant. I know what that feels like really well. I'm right there with you. So we put some training wheels on, and we say, I can't go into this phone call, meeting, whatever, unless I commit some time to the Father praying to him. So what we're after is giving God larger market share in us. And you know what? If you take that disciplined approach, it feels a little bit childish, doesn't it? Gradually, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, more and more coming through in you, in you enjoying God more and more in the process. Okay, listening, prayer, right? Those are our our two key words so far, listening in prayer, lower view of self, higher view of God, a view of God so high that we have to be praying to him. We're relying on him and telling him that. And then there's this one last thing, this last command. We must be people of resolve. We talked about that word just for a minute right at the outset of communion. We've got to be people of resolve. Turn away from evil is the last command. You want to be well? You want to be well this year? Take a lower view of yourself, take a higher view of God, and you must become a person of resolve. The text says, turn away from evil. What is the evil that you need to turn away from? One of the major contributors to you and I being unwell is that instead of turning away from evil, we like to do other things with evil. We build evil a little carriage house in the back of our property and just let it stay right there, and then we go visit it every now and then. We take care of evil. We coddle evil. We just take care that we don't spend too much time with the evil, that we don't let it take over too much of our life. And the text says, turn away. Completely reject. Stop harboring. Turn away. So now we're talking about the rare attribute of resolve. It's a word we don't want to hear when we come into a Reformation church that preaches salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I say, don't, don't tell us anything about resolve. Christ has taken care of everything, and now it's a bed of roses. Why work that hard? But this idea of resolve is here. Turn away from evil. The first step in turning away from evil is being resolved to turn 
What good does it do you to turn away from evil in this moment if there's no resolution to stay turned away? We can all turn away from sin in this moment, surrounded by this wonderful holy group of people, Bible open, everybody in front of us. It's very easy to turn away from sin now, but what about later when no one's around and your Bible isn't open? What's gonna happen then? Will there be resolve to stay turned away? See, that's the crucial question. Sin holds out the promise to us of refreshment. See, it's just the opposite. Satan comes to us and tempts us and says, this sin will refresh you. It will make you well. You'll be happy. And then the product, what we actually get is disease and guilt and shame and destruction. It is in turning from that evil Christian that you will be refreshed. That's the truth. It's turning from the evil that will refresh you, not indulging it. Be resolved, therefore, to turn from the evil from which you need to turn. That will be refreshment to your flesh and healing to your bones. This is the loving counsel of a father to a son and a daughter. It's not hard to understand. It's just really hard to do. But here's what we have to understand. Christianity without resolve is Christianity without Christ. Christ was resolved. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Resolve, this incredible fortitude and resolve was part of the life of Christ. And if I carve out that resolve and say, I'm not gonna have anything to do with that huge part of his life, can I really say, yeah, I'm following him? Yeah, I don't have that resolve part. I cut that out. That part was too hard, but I'm following him. He's told us it's gonna be hard. Right from the outset. Are we going to fail along the way? Yeah, we're going to fail. Of course we will. But you have to understand this, that failure is only possible when there has first been resolve. If there is no initial resolve to turn away from evil, failure is not failure. It's planned disobedience. And that is a very different thing. So if we say we're Christians, we have to be people of resolve. How often do we need to renew that resolve? Is this a one-time thing? Or is this an everyday thing? We need to be resolved for as many days as we would be well. That's the answer. As many days as you would be well in your soul. And that's the promise. If you would be well, you must turn away from evil. That's the path that's charted for us here. I know it's hard. I'm there 
with you, a lower view of self, a higher view of God, and we must be people of resolve. Listening, prayer, and resolve. If you don't have anything set yet for 2023, I'll just hand that to you. Write down and just make those yours. I'm inviting you to own those words this year. Listening, prayer, and resolve. You know, just like there's going to be really difficult exercise for your body this year to make your body well, it's going to be really difficult exercise for your soul to make your soul well. I want you to be well. I want to be well. So be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Amen. Thank you for your wisdom given to us in love, Father. Such a daunting thing to look out from January 1st and just look at this whole year in front of us. Say, can I really do that? Sounds just honestly, Father, with the cold hearts that we bring to the table and a track record of sin and failure, it it sounds overwhelming. And I, I pray that your patient grace and your kindness would come to us this hour and that you would very gently, like a shepherd, lead us in these paths. Let us simply trust that you will lead us down this path of righteousness because you are a good shepherd and we love you. And pray in Jesus' name, amen.